Hello, everyone, and welcome back. It's the Full 40 with Chris, Rob, and Willie. Back to you. It is Monday at just after 8 p.m., two games following the win at St. Joseph's to tie for the Big Five uh, season championship. Um, And we have a special guest joining the pod once again is, man, you have so many titles. I don't even know which one to, to call out. Fox. Like Big East, who everything. John Fanta, man who needs no introduction. John, welcome back to the Full 40. It is a thrill to be with you guys. I always love coming on the Full 40 to talk all things Villanova basketball, Big East basketball, and college hoop because you guys know your stuff. And I've I've come to really appreciate the Full 40 and what it's done as a podcast. And it's always fun to talk with you guys because we always get down – into the thick of things, whether it be why a team is succeeding, why they're not. Uh, we can get into the numbers as well and and into all that. So it's it's a thrill to be with you guys at the perfect time of year when the full gauntlet is about to rev up. Oh, man. Starting. This is the best time. Christmas coming a little early. Big East play finally for Villanova starting this week. Um, and we'll get into all of that. But this has been an eventful, <laughs> to say the least, eight really? months in Villanova basketball <laughs> history. <laughs> um, so, it, it, by the way, in a program that is used to not having too much eventfulness. Uh, so uh, <laughs> we, we, everyone's trying to, to everyone's trying to uh, to deal with to deal with that. Um, but John, I'm going to start out with an interesting question for you. We're six and Villanova six and five. We've we, we, it's been all talked about the losses, the streak, Kyle Neptune starting his career, the four game winning streak to kind of get back on the right side of 500. All that's been talked about. Everyone kind of wants to know where Villanova is going to go from here. Right. So so we are the our we, we like to call the full 40 the fans take on Villanova basketball. So let us hire you. We're hiring you in this moment here to be a consultant for the fans. We, we, we are not paying you, though, John, just <laughs> to be clear. Let's, let's set the expectations here. I don't know if we can afford him anymore. Yeah, that's yeah, so true. That's true. Um, but, but we're hiring you to say, John, manage our expectations. What should a Villanova fan expect as we enter Big E's play here? To make the NCAA tournament. To make the NCAA tournament. Find a way there. I mean, right. and, and, and that's just it is I don't think that Kyle Neptune and his players would want you to expect any differently. Now, I said what you should expect. I'm not saying what Villanova Finch should hinge on. Right. Meaning when you have tasted greatness, when mm. you have tasted national championships, when you've tasted three final fours in six years, there's a dynamic there that happens naturally where success doesn't carry the same meaning as it used to. And that's sad mm. in a way. Yeah. But the challenge as conference play revs up for Villanova basketball is this. If you're a Villanova fan, I, your consultant to the full 40, would say reset 
make it your New Year's resolution to appreciate Mm. what this team does this season because to start the year at two and five, almost every program in America would start the year two and five, and the automatic conclusion would be their season is dead, buried, gone astray, start working towards 2023-24. The fact that this team has won four in a row, and we all know that Cam Whitmore has something to do with it, but guys, you guys have all been around college basketball. So is the Villanova fan base. The people listening to this, you all know this about Villanova. One player doesn't change everything systematically. He's been a game changer. He Don't get me wrong. Cam Whitmore is, is quite a talent and changes a lot of things. But he didn't just come in and he's not just doing his own thing and the other guys are doing their own. Like, there's got to be a, a unity factor. This team could have broke off of PK. They could have broke off of PK 85. They haven't done that. And that should be encouraging to every Villanova fan. But the expectation level should be to find a way to a double-digit amount of Big East wins. And put yourself in a position to present to the committee your full resume in which if you do what you're supposed to slash what we think you could do in the Big East, and I'll get to what you're supposed to do in the Big East in a second, that you could theoretically present to the committee if you're sitting at, I don't know, 19 wins, 18 wins. You could say, hey, but for these first seven games, we were not ourselves. We didn't have the full complement of players we do now, and this is why you should consider us to make the NCAA tournament. Now, if you if you find, a, let's just say, they find a way to 20 wins overall, that means that they had to get quality wins throughout, and that means they're going to make their case a, a whole lot easier. Do they have a lot of work to do? Absolutely, because the non-conference play grade is still probably a C minus because you didn't do anything early. You've right. fought, you've clawed your way back here to to get to probably a C minus or a C. But I do think standards have to change. But I still believe that the expectation level can be. Make find a way to make the NCAA tournament, even if it's an 11 seat. We've all seen guys, it doesn't matter what your what's net numbers next to your name. Find a way to get there. And for this team, that would be a great accomplishment because considering how things started, they could have gone in a dark place. It would be the ultimate reflection of the culture Jay Wright's built if this team could start a season winning two games in their first seven and still finding a way to the big dance floor. Well, well, John, I mean, let's put it this way. If Villanova finds its way to the 11 seed, right, and you know that was built on a 2-5 and five start followed by Cam Whitmore returning, at some point, in theory, Justin Moore returning, and now you're facing that team, which, yeah. if it played the whole season, might have been a 6 seed. As a 6 seed sitting there facing that 11, you're probably pretty unhappy. Oh, you're very unhappy. You're as unhappy as Seton Hall was in 2016 when they won the Big East tournament and got sent to Denver, Colorado to play 11 seeded Gonzaga. God, I know that's your alma mater. You don't seem salty at all about it. <laughs> that was one of the worst. That was that is one of the worst draws I've ever seen in my entire life. That was a terrible uh, beat. It was a bad. It was a bad beat. You win the Big East tournament. Hey, let's send you out to Denver. But but that that's the thing for a six seed. That's how they would be thinking. Right. 
you you want to play Villanova in the first round? Not a soul does. Right. Not a soul does. And you know, guys, I, I do want to touch on Kyle Neptune here off the top because I think he has an impossible task. And and I thought when when he was given the the role of head coach, I thought he deserved it, but I thought it was a really really difficult thing. And I'm going to be real with you guys on this podcast tonight because I wouldn't be any other way. And you've had me on long enough that, that, uh, that you can understand where I'm coming from. Kyle Neptune is a good coach. Kyle Neptune, I believe is going to have success at Villanova. I believe in general, in college basketball, we have a problem with the lack of black coaches, right? We really do. Now the big East has been at the forefront of that with seven coaches. Mm-hmm. Now I'm I, I'm not coming on here to say anything other than this. Give Kyle Neptune a fair shot. Yep, he deserves it. He oh, deserves yeah. it, and I think he's going to be very good. And I I think he already is very good. I thought he was handed a really difficult situation. Oh, terrible! If you terrible. tell a guy that he's got to take over a team that just lost one of their greatest players of all time than a point guard and Colin Gillespie, and that just lost another one of the great faces of the program, Jermaine Samuels impacted winning. His athleticism and length was terrific. We could talk about all those things. The intangibles that he brought to the program could not be taken into account fully. Right. Right. So you take away two terrific greats. Then you say, all right, but I've got these two stars. Oh, no, you're going you're gonna to start the season without them, too. You're, you're done. You don't have either of those two. Wait a minute. So now I've got to piece together complementary players to take on ranked teams and teams that are, frankly, more than capable to be NCAA tournament caliber squads. And now you're asking me to, to, to turn water into wine? I mean, because that's what he was being asked to do early in the season. Like, you can't sit here and say, I know it's the natural Villanova fan who's going to say, oh, we wouldn't be two and five with Jay. You know, we, well, guess what? Guess what? These are the circumstances. Okay. He's not coming back. All right. And if anybody would have a, a clue on identifying who was going to take over for him, it's Jay Wright, which he did because Kyle Neptune is the head coach now. Absolutely. So, so, I had people in my text messages forming judgments about this head coach five games into the season, six games into the season. Remember when y'all formed a judgment? Not you guys, but remember when some formed a judgment on Jay Wright and wanted him fired? How's that look right now? I remember that very, very vividly. (laughs) He's he's one of the five best college basketball coaches of all time with what he built with Villanova. So let's let's all pump the brakes here. And, And I wanted to be real with you guys and say, like, I think that this thing can get rolling this season. I really do. And I don't think that you could say after five, six, seven games, your your complete judgment. We live in this what have you done for me lately world. It's it's the danger of Monday morning. It's the danger of Monday morning quarterback. You know, look at the NFL. We form general takes on a team every single week. These are college kids. And this is a guy that's what, in his 30s? You know, my, my yeah, he's 37. He's 37 years old. Take a deep breath. 
and understand the circumstances of the situation. I know you want to go to a Final Four. I get that. But this guy's got to be himself. He can't be Jay Wright 2.0. Mm-hmm. All right, that that's not going to work either. When somebody tries to be someone they're not, it doesn't work. Now, so much of what Kyle is is Villanova. But my point is, let's see how this goes. If you form some predetermined judgment, I'm sorry. I, I think you're going to be on Old Takes Exposed. <laughs> I love watching old. I love watching those tweets from Old Takes Exposed. <laughs> it's terrific. Yes, John, I appreciate that. I, I on this podcast here, we have preached a lot of patience. We haven't said, "Look, critique a quote, coach." High, he's probably the highest paid person at Villanova, mm-hmm. and so and so. Therefore, like, yeah, he's going to be the guy. I'd rather, I'd rather fans criticize him than the uh, somewhat paid college athletes now right but 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 so he's the guy who's gonna the buck stops there and he has taken all the criticism in stride but willie said it best actually a couple weeks ago deserves our patience we got to have time we got to give this guy time to get things going in his way as you so eloquently put it so i i I couldn't agree more john well i appreciate you guys breaking that down i appreciate you guys listening to me on that because i think it's really important and I think as Big East play begins for this Villanova team, it would be in their best interest to take advantage of a home game on Wednesday night. <laughs> and and it's a really interesting matchup. This, to me, is a validation game for both Villanova and St. John's. Yeah. Opportunity knocks for them to prove something on Wednesday evening. John, you said something. I was listening to you late on the field of 68 last night. And you said something, you said you were doing tiers. And you yeah. said, UConn is in a tier of its own. We'll get to UConn a little bit later. Marquette and Xavier have separated themselves yes, as well. And you said, St. John's and Villanova are playing a play-in game to get into that conversation yes. of into that potential tier on Wednesday night. So we got, there's some things to talk about. We'll maybe unwind some of the things that have gone on in Villanova so far. But let's jump into St. John's and say, okay, like this has been a team, maybe the most interesting team <laughs> on planet Earth. <laughs> Eleven yes. and one, they have they have lost the one difficult game that they've had. They have beaten probably not a singular team that will go to the NCAA tournament, and yet they got a lot of talent. <laughs> Joel Soriano's playing really well, and and the pieces are starting to move together with Curbelo and Posh. Yep. And yet, no one has any clue what this is going to turn out to be in Biggie's play. Yeah, exactly. St. John's is basically a night out in New York City. <laughs> Specifically K-Town, if I don't say <laughs> Yeah, K-Town. St. John's is the comparable to a night out in K-Town. You do not know what you're going to get. I mean, if you were making a movie about St. John's, it'd be the queen's hangover or something of that nature, because you really don't know what's going to happen from night to night with this team. They, <laughs> they, they would be, if I'm not interested in any of this stuff. Uh, but uh, if, if you're one that is interested in substances or things like that, uh, where you like to have some fun, they would be an interesting team to watch. If you tried to do some of those things ahead of their game, I, because the, the, the ball's flying all over the place. Their pace is wild. Out of this is, world. Their pace is crazy. They're sixth 
they are sixth in adjusted tempo, uh, according to Ken Pomeroy. And they're top 55 in offense and defense. Now, here's the thing. If they were that bad from an efficiency standpoint, I think you'd see those figures closer to 80, 90, 100. So there's something there. There's something there. It's, It's actually, here's the deal. They've hurt themselves with the way that they've scheduled. Because if we're sitting here right now, and they're nine and three, and let's say they've beaten nine teams that are frankly uh, cupcake games, but the other three games they lost, but they're to power conference teams, we would say, you know what? They're they're good, but they got to back it up. But there's reason for us to believe they did because if they lost narrowly in any of those games, you could say. That, that there's potential there, right? For instance, for instance, Providence. Providence is nine and three right now. They beat Seton Hall on the road on Saturday. They don't have any major non-conference victory, but they played Miami, who's a top 25 team, pretty tight for the most part. They should have beaten St. Louis. They did not. They played TCU somewhat competitively, but then wore off. The point is, if Providence starts to win some Big East games against some of the top teams in the league, it's not going to surprise anybody. You know why, guys? They benefited off of scheduling because they've been in that role before of facing a fellow power conference team. For St. John's, when they faced Iowa State, their hardest game of non-conference play by a wide margin, they weren't ready to play. They weren't ready to play because there's only so much you can practice for. At a certain point, the best way to simulate what you're going through is to just get on the floor and play the other team. That's the problem with Wednesday night. Villanova's battle-tested. Villanova's not going to get rattled. Somebody said to me, will Villanova get rattled by pressure? Did the guy Was the guy living in a cave for the last 15 years? <laughs> Like Villanova, I don't care if they don't have Colin Gillespie, Jalen Brunson, or Ryan Archdiakono. Villanova's on their home floor. On their home, on their home floor, if Villanova gets rattled, I will eat my shirt because that would be the that'd be the first time that I've ever seen that in my entire life. I don't care who's the coach. I mean, that's just not what Villanova does. For St. John's, could they get rattled if Villanova comes out and punches? You bet. Who's got more talent on paper? Hmm. There's probably an argument for St. John's more so this year than others. Joel Soriano is the most improved player in the Big East. Like, let's look at the positive with St. John's. Soriano's athleticism and physicality is really good. He got better over the offseason. He hit the weight room. He conditioned. He worked on himself. And for a program that, frankly, a lot of their players in recent years haven't showed a whole lot of, I got better. I did this to get better. A lot of these guys seem to stay on the same level, not that that's good or bad. Soriano's the best case of player development in the Mike Anderson era mm-hmm. thus far because he's really taken strides. And guys, player development still matters in college basketball. Ask Shaka Smart how he has a good team this year. Right. Ask, Kyle, ask Kyle Neptune how he has a good team. He's had some players develop in season and, and from season to season. So for St. John's, the, the thing with them is Soriano gives them a presence that they haven't had in recent years. They're rebounding and, and defending better in the post. Can Posh Alexander and Andre Curbelo coexist well, efficiently? Curbelo makes you say, wow, sometimes it makes you put your head in your hands at others because it's just up and down. 
Pasha Alexander, if I'm Villanova on Wednesday night, make Pasha Alexander shoot because Alexander has not been good from the field uh, on the season. To me, what does St. John's success comes down come down to? What's Montez Mathis giving them? What's Dylan Adewusu giving them? What are those complementary pieces giving them from the outside? That That's the key from a St. John's perspective. A.J. Store as well. So they've got the lead guard play, and they've got the front court piece in Soriano. If you're Villanova and you're Eric Dixon, you try to get Soriano in some foul trouble, but you make it a half-court game. Because St. Yeah. John's, John's has not showed that they can win a half-court game over somebody. Their half-court offense just hasn't been reliable enough. And I think that's why they carry such a question mark next to them. Are they an NCAA tournament team? If you asked 100 people, you'd probably get 50 yes and 50 no. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's that crazy. It is. They're the most compelling team in the Big East this year. And it's it's an important year for Anderson. He's got to win. Uh, I mean, I, I would assume that if they don't make the NCAA tournament, that they're going to move on. But I, I, but you know, I, I can tell you that's what the fan base would want. But I don't know. I, I mean, don't know after, if that's after, the, after the Chris Mullen era. I mean, ugh. yeah. I well, look, the, Chris Mullen. Stability. Chris Mullen made the NCAA tournament. That was it. It's for wild. Him. It's wild. Yeah. Here's what I'll say. I'll say this to you guys. I love it. I'm sure you guys do too. Like. The, the, the whole Big East probably won't admit it, but it's interesting when St. John's is a factor because yes. they play they play in New York. There's more attention to them. They they get a lot of media exposure. They can. I notice it with traffic when St. John's is playing well. They have a very passionate fan base. Guys, St. John's hasn't made the Big East tournament semifinals in over 20 years. I, I mean, it's That's just wild. crazy. It's on their home court. <laughs> It's on their the semifinals, not even the final. Jeez. So they they need to put it together this year. There's no team that has more pressure on itself going into conference play than St. John's. And I would probably say the other team that's got the most pressure on themselves going into conference play is actually the team they're playing Wednesday night. Because look, we know Villanova's got to stack wins. Yeah. And, yep. and the fact is, Villanova, you got to win this game. You know why? <laughs> UConn's coming up. We're going to stores. <laughs> Yeah, that's why. Yeah. Uh, John, I, I I couldn't agree more. I, one thing I want to point out is obviously with the pressure that Posh Alexander and, and Andre Cabela will do in terms of pressuring the ball, it doesn't hurt to have a guy, and he's been a little bit maligned by the Villanova fan base here um, in the early go here. But it doesn't hurt to have a guy who, in eleven games so far this year, has a total of six turnovers total. So so Chris Archer Diacono, who has played the majority of the point guard minutes role and has uh, developed quite well. And part of the reason why Villanova has been playing well over the last four games is that he has stepped up his game, made key shots in addition to decent defense, rebounding the basketball and not turning the ball over. So he's become a little bit of a, not a factor on the offensive end, but part of the offense on the offensive end, which has been helpful. Chris, you mentioned, and John mentioned it earlier, um, the idea of in-season development. Chris is the per the perfect picture of that right now. Chris, from game one to what we're seeing, what we saw yesterday or two days ago versus St. Joe's, is exactly what in-season development should look like. And he's shown it across the entire way. So if we're going to find success versus St. John's, 
I think it's going to hit, like hinge on Chris being able to handle the pressure that Posh, Curbelo, Jones, and the team will just naturally put on him. Yes, you're absolutely right, Willie. And I'll tell you what. Like, do you know how many teams would kill to only be averaging nine turnovers per game? Which, by the way, is the fewest in the country. The fewest in the country turnovers per game. Almost every team. Yeah. Any team any team's going to do that, especially against St. John's. That's why it's such a fascinating matchup on Wednesday night. Because Villanova doesn't make mistakes in terms of ball management. St. John's is predicated. They're predicated on forcing mistakes and getting you to make mistakes. Now, for Villanova, that's why shot selection is so important on Wednesday. You know why? Sometimes a bad shot is a turnover for St. John's as opposed to just a turnover, which is a dead ball turnover doesn't have the same effect. Like if you're going to turn the ball over, throw it away. Throw it away, let it go out of bounds, and you can reset. But you, you want to make St. John's uncomfortable. You know how you do that? You make them run half-court offense, to which they don't have much. They, 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 they don't run a lot of sets. It's just not how they are. Right. For, Vill- for Villanova, in this game, you're exactly right. Chris Archdiakono's ability to manage the game, his experience, his poise on the Big East level. Remember, for some of these guys, it's their first taste to Big East basketball. There's a natural transition there. It's a different intensity level. Well, Chris Arch is not going to be rattled by that. He's pl- Chris Arch Diacono should not be hated. Chris Arch Diacono has been around the block time and time again. It feels like he's been at Villanova for 10 years. So that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. For Villanova, you know what they need to do? They need to get Caleb Daniels and Brandon Slater. And then for that matter, Eric Dixon. But I will get Slater and, and Daniels and, and then to Whitmore to play bully ball with St. John's and say, you know what? We're going to back you down. We're going to isolate you. If they bring help, we're going to get a three off that. That's what you need to do. You've got to put St. John's defense in a situation where they can't cause chaos, but they're in a control, a more controlled setting, which throws off their philosophy. So I think that that's, that's what it comes down to, and I think what you where, where Villanova can have an advantage is on the wings, right. right? Because I think St. John's wings have a bit of a question mark. I think we didn't bring up David Jones. David Jones been he, David Jones has been a very welcome addition. He's been a bucket for them. Does he take shots? He he could take a lot of shots. Like it's important that, that Villanova keeps him from getting hot. But the good news I, I think, is that we've had some game roll on him because we played against him before, just in a different uniform. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I, I think pace is huge, and Villanova's ability to be efficient is what could determine the outcome of this game. Yep, John, I, I, I got to ask, and, and Chris brought up Chris Archidiakana, which I would say Chris has been a uh, a point of discussion on this podcast and certainly amongst the fan base more broadly. And I think the follow-on is the implications then for a lot of our freshmen, like we do have a lot of young guys who have gotten way more run than historically you would have seen under the aforementioned Jay Wright, of course. But I'm curious what your take is, you know, should the Villanova fan base be excited about what they're seeing from the freshmen? Should they be clamoring for more? Should they be clamoring for less? Like how, how should we be thinking about that? Cause I'll tell you where my perspective is. I want to see more Mark Armstrong. I'm a big Mark Armstrong guy. I want to let him loose. I want to let him run. I want to get a little more, more athleticism in the team. But curious what your take is. Well, 
It's interesting that against St. Joe's, he plays 17 minutes and he goes 0 for 4 from 3. So It wasn't look, his best. It wasn't <laughs> his best performance. So that tells me that tells me that Mark Armstrong is getting on the court and thinking to himself, I got to make a shot to stay on the floor. You can't play that way as a freshman. Because if you play that way as a freshman, the best freshmen understand that if they just perform without the basketball and do all the little things, they're probably going to find their way on the floor because a coach has shot makers. He's got guys that can score the ball. He needs guys who are going to dig in defensively and more than anything, understand the principles of the program. Mm -hmm. And so that to me, I I'm with you. Mark Armstrong lifts Villanova's ceiling, but a coach sometimes isn't willing to sacrifice his living room. If he doesn't have to, I think, I think that's, that's what Jay has done. Jay Wright has the most beautiful foyer kitchen living room and family room that you're ever going to find. Okay. If, if he takes you, if he says, you know what, I, I've got a decent living room, kitchen, family room, but man, I'm working on this great upstairs. (laughs) You're going to say, well, how, how is it going to be great when this middle level is just decent? Right now, Villanova's got a package of wins together, guys. Mm-hmm. They, can't, they can't necessarily, unlike other Villanova teams, but like I got it when Villanova fans in recent years would get frustrated because they'd be like, man, we, you know, we, don't, we don't play our young guys at all. Like, are they that bad? Are they that yeah. bad? I, I, I got that. But it's not like he's not playing them. I would say for this team, if Armstrong were that strong he'd be playing because it's not like there's tremendous options in the backcourt for Villanova under the current circumstances for sure all right I think Kyle's found his rotation like you said we have to stack together wins and we're getting to that point of that eight-man rotation it seems that's what it's going to be for the most most part likely for the rest of the year assuming whatever happens with Justin you know there'll be an adjustment there um, but that's what's good. That's what we're going to likely be rolling out versus St. John's. And that's definitely what we'll be rolling out when we go to um, the XL center and we face Connecticut, yeah. who I know Chris is a big fan of Connecticut. <laughs> and there's, we want to talk about beautiful upstairs. That's just, they have a, they have a beautiful living room. They got a nice dining room and they have the potential Sistine chapel upstairs. They got nine bedrooms. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> nine bedrooms. Yeah, they do. Amazing. <laughs> they 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 do, and Donovan Klingen, Klingen sleeps in a king. I mean, <laughs> my goodness gracious, are they good? They uh, they are as impressive of a team that I've seen in in several years at this stage of the season. There's nothing, nothing that they don't do well. And it's interesting, guys, because we often talk about how it's a guards game, right? And how you got to have great guard play. I think their guard play is good. I don't think it's otherworldly. Yep. But it's kind of a reflection of modern basketball. Their wing play is invaluable. Andre Jackson, I know this sounds crazy. Uh, trust me, I know. John, people, I'm right there with you. So people people scoff at me for saying this. I've, I literally have had people not, not happy with me over this take. I would vote Andre Jackson Big East Player of the Year. <laughs> I know yeah. that sounds crazy. I know he doesn't score, but I, I, I got to tell you guys, if you take him off their team, a lot would go wrong. He is, he's the engineer 
of so much of their energy. He holds guys accountable, but has this really nice demeanor about it. His combination of leadership and the ability to make an explosive play in a game is rare. Is rare because a lot of times guys who make the explosive play are out of control guys. They don't they don't have this calming presence in a locker room. He's not just a spark guy. He's an everyday guy, but he plays in a manner that that provides the sparks for his team. And for this UConn team, what was the biggest question we asked going in the offseason? Would they find perimeter shooting? Guys, shooting doesn't have to be sexy. It doesn't have to be the guard who has crazy handles. Everyone's like, Joey Calcaterra has exceeded my expectations. He's a catch-and-shoot college player. Yeah. Like, I'm sure he's learned the defensive principles faster than expected. I'm sure. But people are like, San Diego? He played for San Diego, and now he's doing this for UConn. His, his, what's his job? What's his job? His job is when they set him up for a shot, knock it down. Jordan Hawkins' job. At the end of the day, Jordan Hawkins is out there. Yeah, he, he makes plays. He does things. He could be a pro. Jordan Hawkins is out there to knock down shots, and Jordan Hawkins has a pure shot. And now, guys, Jordan Hawkins isn't looking over his shoulder saying, I'm going to get taken out. I'm going to get taken out if I don't make a shot. Kind of what Mark Armstrong's dealing with right now. Now, Hawkins has this evergreen light. And I think it's translated. I mean, I, I really am impressed by them guys. They, the only thing that's holding them back, the only thing that's holding them back, two things. One is just if Tristan Newton, Hassan, Diara, and Naheem Aline are all off, which, which could happen, yeah. what happens? What, what happens in that situation? Like, I think those guys have been good. I don't think they've been outstanding, which is a further reflection of all the great that UConn has at the center position. We haven't even brought up Adama Sonogo's name. I, I, we, the one person we haven't said is the preseason Biggies player of the year. I always Sonogo, think of him fit. It's who, absurd. Who, who, who literally, it was a four-point game versus Butler the other night at Hinkle Fieldhouse. And you're like, wait a second, hold on, is the magic conjuring and Adama Sonogo just went on like what feel like felt like a single-handed run and yep. put that game up to like a 20-point game in no time flat. You know why? His motor is unlimited. It's unreal. I mean, I, I'll give you guys a story. I'm doing UNCW UConn in November, and I'm talking with UNCW's coach, Takeo Siddle, the morning of the game. And he said, yeah, man, he's like, I, I think UConn's the best team in the country. Now, I almost fell out of my chair because at that point, I think they were 21. I go – Really? He goes, yeah, man. He goes, I I mean, he, he goes, I'm telling you right now. He goes, and he looks at me, he goes, it's no BS. He goes, we're trying to simulate. Think about this, folks. This guy looks at me and goes, we're trying to simulate what they do in practice. And my guys are tired in practice from trying to simulate UConn. <laughs> and and my guy, he goes, my guys looked at me when we we're prepping for UConn and they said, Coach, there's no way Sonogo does this in the game. And Siddle looks at him, he goes, he does even more, guys. He does even more. His work rate is not typical for a guy his size. I mean, he is just nonstop. And now he's not going to get worn down because clinging keeps getting better. Alex Caravan's been tremendous and is committed to basketball. It's all he does. If you want to get better at basketball, go to stores. It snows all winter and it's kind of a farm. I mean, you want to get better at hoop. That's where you're going. You're going to the gym to, to play hoop. It's, it's not a slight. It's just how it is out there. They love their hoops. So 
I'll tell you what, they're the real deal. They're the clear front runner in the Big East. I don't know who's going to beat them in this league. I really don't. John, I just said, this, I, look, this is my personal take. I won't say this is the podcast take. I think I'd be more shocked by UConn losing like six or seven games this year total. And I mean, including Big East and NCAA tournament and everything, than going undefeated. I really think that this team is, I, I genuinely believe this. I think this team's battling the history books. I don't think the best, I don't think their biggest competitions on the floor playing college basketball this year. I think it's in the history books. It might be. I mean, it, there's a chance. Their schedule hasn't been as hard as one might think just by virtue of the way, what, but, but you look what Alabama's been and they destroyed them. I mean, Oklahoma's Alabama beat, beats Houston at Houston and, right. and you, and they didn't even like, they made the game, they made a little bit of a game, but I almost look at it as UConn blew them out twice in that game. No, I mean, like, they've, they've won their first 12 games by double digits and they're the first big East team to do that since 1985, 86 Syracuse, who did it with 13 straight. So if they could if they could beat Georgetown by double digits, when they beat Georgetown by double digits, <laughs> that'll match a Big East team record for 13 straight wins to start a season by double digits. And then off that game, they have Villanova, so they'll be looking to make it 14 against the Cats. We'll see if the Cats have something to say about that. But I got to tell you, no. here, I got to tell you, I was impressed with Butler, and they lost by 22. <laughs> <It's-> <laughs> I mean, that, that tells you how good UConn is. The other thing, I told you there were two things, and I'll be honest with you. I said the one thing was the, the backcourt play if they were to just be off. The other thing is Hurley. That, that's the only other thing is Dan Hurley. And, and I say that because I think Danny's a good coach. I really do. But as the season goes on, other coaches adapt. Yeah. And, and don't, don't underestimate the power of the Big East. Because Villanova will tell you in 2016, they won a national championship because they lost to Seton Hall in the Big East tournament final. And it got them refocused that Monday after they had selection Sunday to say, you know what, guys? We're nowhere near where we need to be. This is what we have to do to win a national championship. It would be in UConn's best interest to swallow some lumps in either January or February. You don't want to go into March with this with this 25 and one. And I think they'll lose. I mean, I do. Yeah. I think they could lose New Year's Eve at Xavier. I, I really do. You know why Xavier can score the, you know what, out of the ball. They are offensively. They're about as good of a team as you're going to find, but, but defensively, they don't play much defense. They got to hope UConn has an off shooting night, but they, they could give them a game. Providence is going to be a weird game because Cooley Cooley's had the better hand of Hurley. There's yep. a mental factor there. Coaching matters in the Big East. Yeah, 100%. It, it, it really does. So for Dan, like, it's not a slight as much as it is just an explanation. Can he stay composed? Remember, guys, sometimes he gets off the off the edge and then things go wrong. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to be very clear. Chris's, uh, Chris's take about UConn's potential is the take of Chris alone and not the view of the podcast as a whole. Let's, uh, <laughs> I'm going to temper my expectations on each of UConn. I think, I think they're very good, but... Talking about them as a historically great team, I think they've got a lot left to prove before we're putting them in some of the same categories as a lot of the teams that we've seen of late, Villanova and otherwise. Both coaching and players underpinning that. I fundamentally agree with that. It's December 19th, and I'm coming out with the hottest take I can come out with. This is the take that I got. This is the take that I'm going with. It's pretty hot. It's pretty hot. (laughs) It's pretty scorching. Yeah. (laughs) 
Look, and, I, I mean, you, you're on the right. Look, from from the way that they play and from the amount of depth they have, they have depth that you rarely see in 2022 college basketball. It is not common to see the amount of depth that the Huskies possess. They have it. There's no holes on that team. John, I'll say this, and then we'll move on to Marquette. But the uh, I'm looking at the Big East Player of the Year in Adama Sanogo preseason, who has been absolutely unbelievable, shoots threes now, um, and has been awesome. And then he gets subbed out for, like, a 7-2 guy who is not an oaf. Like, he is – he's skilled and he's good. He makes, like – he makes like three or four like hilarious plays because he's seven two a game. And the thing is, the other team's bench can't handle that. No, can't handle that. He'd start. Klingon would start on any other team in the country. So you're not prepared for that. You're really not. The only team that could that could compete with UConn's front court right now is Arizona. Yeah. Because they've got Azulis Tabellas and Omar Bala. It's the only one. The only one. All right, we got to move on. We got to yeah. move on. I said I said so much about UConn, and I know I could I could keep talking about that team for a while yeah. and how to beat them. But <laughs> John, the 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 UConn's been the biggest surprise, but it's almost like an old surprise at this point, right? The the, the surprise of the non-conference for the Big East, um, and maybe the Big East should be giving them a lot of thank yous, send them thank you notes and Christmas cards. Is Marquette? Because their win over Baylor and then subsequent win over Notre Dame and being competitive in every game that they've played has saved this conference's ass, if we're being candid, about how they've about how this conference has performed in the non-conference. Well, and we'll, we'll get to that. I actually have some collective thoughts on on the Big East in general that, that we can get to. But let's focus on Marquette. There's yeah. no question they've been one of the biggest surprises in the country. In fact, I think behind Mississippi State, they're probably the second biggest surprise in college basketball this season. Their offense, to have a top 25 offense, how do you lose Justin Lewis and get better <laughs> offensively? And you didn't replace him with anybody. They lost Daryl Morsell. They lost Justin Lewis. They, they really walked into this year, and I'm thinking to myself, man, I think they'll play hard. Man, I think they'll be in passing lanes. Man, I think they'll be able to create havoc. But how are they gonna how are they gonna be in games? You know why? They've got a bunch of dudes who have flown under the radar and have gone the old school way. Marquette plays like it's 2005. They're they're a team that has been predicated on player development. Omax Prosper is averaging 15 points per game. D- didn't see that coming. Yep. David Joplin can be a dead-eye shooter and a guy that stretches the floor. Didn't see that coming. Oso Iguodaro is one of the most improved players in the country. His mobility and length is really tough for a team to handle because he can run the floor like a deer, and he, he's got this size factor that opens things up for Marquette. Tyler Kolick. Tyler Kolick against Creighton had eight assists to no turnovers. Tyler Kolick on the season has 94 assists to 28 turnovers. That's staggering. That is staggering stuff. Cam Jones is this team's leader. We we knew that Cam Jones was poised. Cam Jones didn't make an all-Big East preseason team, and guess what? He's letting all the coaches know they screwed up. 
<laughs> and they screwed up on picking Marquette ninth. So the team that, as you say, has saved this conference's ass is the team that the coaches thought would be the ass of all jokes next to DePaul and Georgetown. And guess what? They haven't been. They are efficient offensively. And more than anything, guys, last year, at the end of last year, Marquette became disconnected because NBA egos decided to come into play. Just being, just real talk. This team doesn't have, in my opinion, this great NBA player. I just don't see it. But they're a connected group. They're not a group filled with NIL guys or I'm making tons of money like this, that, and the third. They're just a group of college players who have come together and are playing hard for a coach who's comfortable at Marquette. Make no mistake about it. This version of Shaka Smart is the best version we've seen. He is comfortable in his home state of Wisconsin. His team's playing like it. They are dangerous. And they have a huge game Tuesday night at Providence. Two nine and three teams. Two teams that have had different directions thus far this season in a variety of ways. But for the Golden Eagles, if they can win on the road in the Big East, there's nothing that they can't do. They, they are that good, and I think they're going to be a team. Like I, I think a lot of people aren't talking this way. If they stay connected, guys, it would not surprise me at all to see them in a Big East tournament final. It would not. Yep. So let's go from the highs to the lows, right? The team that hasn't done super well in the non-conference and seemingly was and then just got really far off track. And we kind of have, we're going to go in a little bit of a speed round in a little bit, but Creighton, I'm going to jump down to Creighton, who, uh, John, WTF. I, I don't know what to start from there. I, I really don't know what to say beyond that. Like, what, what I, I know Cock is out, but like, what's going on there? Guys, it's as stunned as I've ever been by a team covering college basketball. They played the best game of the year thus far against Arkansas. That Maui Invitational semifinal was college basketball, you know what. Yeah. It was it was that it was at its purest. Yeah. At its purest. It was beautiful. Beautiful to watch. And they were a team that was playing together and that was defending at a high level. And a Creighton team that's able to take punches and punch back. What happened to that toughness? What happened to that resilience factor? What happened to their offense? Their shot selection is unrecognizable. Last week against Arizona State, I was beyond befuddled by their late game shot selection. It was guys trying to be the hero. They're not a team right now. They're not a team right now. They are a team that's been impacted by name, image, and likeness. Mm -hmm. Facts are facts. They're a team right now that, guys, have you ever seen Creighton look disconnected? No, this is so weird. This is the thing. It's like you, you never expect it with Creighton. Even when their athletes aren't 100% there or they're too young and they've been developing or whatever, there's always a team that's like difficult to play against because of how they carry themselves. And it sounds silly, but it's the fact that it's it's six straight. At some point, by loss three, it self-corrects, and you have someone who steps up in the locker room, and they handle that Arizona State game, or they handle the BYU game, and no one stepped up. And you can see that. And John, you're right. I I kind of think there is the I I didn't know I I don't know if I would call it nil, but the egos, and it's there's a lot going on. They're not shooting the ball. They're not looking like great in and in any shape, way, shape, or form. 
In the losses to Nebraska and Texas, guys, they shot a combined 14 for 67 from three. Oh, my God. What are we doing? Yeah. To me, one thing about this team is that last year they walked into the season and people had zero expectations for them. They were thought to be a potential doormat in the Big East, a potential team that just wouldn't make much noise because they didn't have enough experience. Ryan Hawkins really did a lot for Creighton last year. And I I think when he departed, which he only had one year of eligibility, I think a lot of people thought, well, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. He was just a a one-year guy. He was a great leader for them, made a lot of things happen. Alex O'Connell had a terrific year last year too. But here's the thing, guys. It changes. When you go from the hunter to the firmly hunted and, and get this, sometimes there's benefit to injuries. Yep. Oh, does that sound crazy? You're thinking, John, you're out of your mind. When Ryan Nemhard went down, Trey Alexander was the guy, and there was no one that was going to replace him. Nobody. What, Rati Andronikashvili? Wasn't going to be him. So the point is, Alexander played freely. He played so well in the system, and he was driving that offense. Well, guys, if you got two teachers teaching a class at the front of the room, which one are you listening to? <laughs> to me, I don't think Ryan Nemhard and Trey Alexander have ever coexisted great. Great. Because they do similar things. Now, Alexander's probably he's a better athlete. Um, Nemhard, I like. But like right now, that, that backcourt's not connected. Baylor Shireman feels like he should be the perfect fit, but we haven't seen him fully deliver to the level that I think we thought. And he was bad against Texas. To me, the biggest problem is our Kaluma. Kaluma, I had heard over the offseason, Creighton thought he was going to be an NBA draft pick. Well, guess what? So did Arthur Kaluma. Yeah. And I don't like I don't like picking on players. I don't like picking on players. Because I'm a believer that if you want to pick on a pick on a team, you got to pick on the coach. Mm-hmm. Having said this, I think Greg McDermott's one of the 10 best coaches in college basketball, getting the most out of his teams. If he's befuddled, then I'm just addressing the players. Yeah. You make the main thing, the main thing. Yeah. I'm all, I'm all for making a lot of money. You guys should go and make as much money as you can. All right. Go make as much money as you can. Don't forget about why that money's coming in. I, I love it, John. I appreciate that that context on Creighton there because it's it's hard to figure out. Um, I got one thing. Yeah, not about Creighton. I just I know John has to roll soon. John, can you fix Georgetown? How do you fix Georgetown? <laughs> Top to bottom change. Uh, <laughs> I know it's for John, but not for me. Yeah, it's um, guys. This is a really brutal situation, and it's sad, frankly. Yeah, because Georgetown basketball should never be this bad. It should never be this bad. Villanova fans, I know Villanova and Georgetown fans don't like each other, but even Villanova fans would have to admit it's really fun to have a rivalry. No, 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 that no, rivalry's no. dead. We're we're like we're, it's so beyond that. It's it was like kind of funny at first, and it's not funny anymore. Now it's not funny. In like it's 2016, when it was happening, I was like, "Ha ha, this is cool," and now it's. 
It's I regret terrible. it. I don't want yeah. to, I regret I regret laughing about it. I, it's it's really it's, bad. It's really bad. They've become irrelevant. They've become irrelevant. Right now you'd have to pay people to come to the games and I think I, it would take a dollar amount. And more importantly that, that they're relevant. Oh, go ahead, John. No, go ahead. I think and more important they're relevant in their own backyard. Maryland's now, I mean Maryland's always been a competitor, but now Kim English is doing good work at George Mason. GW's coming there. American came into the um, Xfinity Center and won. Unbelievable. Like, they're in, in their three, own backyard. In three years, in less than three years, a player transferred, now he transferred back to Maryland, and another player, Harris, just transferred to Virginia. Yep. Georgetown's a better program. Well, were, was. What well, was. They, like, they were. They were. They were, but... Not anymore. Not anymore. They they are going to have to look themselves in the mirror if they haven't already. And they've got to figure this out because what they've been doing the last two, three years, not only are they hurting themselves, but they're hurting the Big East. And they're hurting that next television deal because Georgetown is a brand. When Georgetown Hoops is going, they draw. They draw viewership. They draw buzz. They draw ratings. That's very important for the Big East business model. To have the Hoyas be irrelevant is not part of the plan. They're no. supposed to be one of the most relevant brands from a university and basketball standpoint. They're not carrying their weight. It's a big metro area, just losing it. Absolutely. I mean, it's amazing that the Big East, and let's turn to this now, if you guys don't mind me turning to it, but you said that Marquette, in a lot of ways, has saved the Big East. So, Let's forecast the Big East here in terms of the way I see it. The Big East was the fourth-ranked conference, according to Ken Pomeroy, last year. It is that again. The middle's not as strong, and the bottom certainly is not as strong. In fact, there's two teams who are really bringing the league down because DePaul's having a rough year. Having said this, the ACC is not good. The back half of the ACC is is bad. Dreadful. <laughs> it's, it's, it's bad. The Pac-12 in the back half is still not good. And guys, the Atlantic 10 was supposed to be better. It has not been. That's a big factor, and I'll get to that in a second. UConn is a surefire tournament team. Marquette is a surefire tournament team. They would have to really go downhill. That win over Baylor, guys, carries unlimited mileage. If Marquette goes 10 and 10 in the Big East, they're going to get in because they have a win that all those other teams don't have. They're just, they they will. They might be in an eight, nine game, but they're in. They're in. I'm not even putting them in a maybe. I'm putting them in the tournament. Mm -hmm. Xavier's in a good place. Xavier's in a good place. Not a great place, but a good enough place. They don't have any demoralizing losses. And I think Sean Miller, the the thing about Xavier that's scary, they're not going to regress. No. Now, they don't have a bench. That's a problem. But they're, they're good enough. So that's three teams. From my, from my standpoint, guys, I think from that point on, there's five teams fighting for two berths, two tickets. I guess I'll say six just to say it for the sake of the argument. To me, you're looking at, at, at six teams fighting for two spots. Villanova's fighting for a spot. St. John's is fighting for a spot. Providence is, is in that fight. Providence is nine and three. They don't have any major blemishes. If they beat Marquette tomorrow night, they're going to really help themselves. They'll be 10 and three. 
with a row win at Seton Hall and a win over Marquette. So there's three. Butler, to me, I'm not ready to write them off yet. Their metrics are actually decent. If you look uh-huh. at Butler from a net standpoint, they've actually, like, they check out so that if they make some noise in conference play, they'll have a chance. Um, who haven't we brought into the equation yet? Seton Hall, to me, I don't see it this year with them because I don't think they have enough offense. They're frisky. But, but like, I think they'll hang around, but I, I don't think they're a tournament team this particular year. I just don't. Um, and then, let's see, we've hit on pretty much, I've hit on, yeah, five teams, five teams, because then you have DePaul and Georgetown. You got St. John's. Is, we talked about them up the top. And we talked about St. John's. St. John's is the wild card of all wild cards. So if it, now look, if St. John's, if St. John's can hold their own, and St. John's wins 11, 12 conference games, St. John's should be able to go twelve and eight in the Big East. If they do, the guys they're going to have twenty three wins. Uh, you're not the, keeping that team out. You're not keeping the, that team out. The committee's That's never going to. I, I know that. I know that people say like, the committee doesn't look at conferences. BS. Stop it. You're a fool if you think that. If they didn't look you, at conferences. North Carolina wouldn't have been a nine seed in last year or eight seed in last year. They would have never been. They yeah. would have never been. I, I know people are always like very defensive about the tournament model. Guys, if Villanova goes 13 and seven in the Big East. Oh, it's a slam dunk. They're probably going to make the tournament. You know why? The NCAA and, and CBS and Turner make money off Villanova. Right. Like, I know, again, I know people don't want to hear it. The thing is, the Atlantic 10 is not going to steal more bids this year. The Pac-12 is not going to do it. The ACC sure is. The ACC, if, if the ACC was having a good year, the Big East would be in a dark place. It'd be in a really dark place. Because, because some of those other leagues aren't taking bids from the Big East, I still believe five Big East teams will make the NCAA tournament. And I wouldn't be shocked if a sixth made it. I know a lot of people think three or four. I think five. And I think in, a, in an 11-team conference, there's a whole lot worse that could happen. Yeah. Yep. John, I, I, I agree. Um, I, I think that I think we, we set the over under here. We, we started at five and a half. I think we moved it back to four and a half for the for the for the conference. But I still think five is my is my magic number for the conference. Um, but I am I, 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 I do like it. And what I meant a little bit just to clarify on that point, save the save the ass of the Big East. Most years in the Big East were loaded with veterans. We pick up wins that we maybe shouldn't get in a non-conference, and that just bolsters our bid total. That's been like the case over the last three or four years, it feels like. Whereas this year, the Big East is young and very talented. And so all these teams are going to get a lot better as the season goes on for a variety of reasons. And as a result of that, it's going to be a bloodbath in February to get to get those last couple bids into the into the dance. It's going to be fun, and I think you're going to see teams get better as the year goes on. You know the team, from my opinion, that's going to get better? Villanova's one of them because I think they're only, they can only get better, and I think that they will, and I think Justin Moore's injury timeline is fascinating to watch. To me, the team that's going to keep getting better is Providence. Yeah. Right? Bryce Hopkins is special, guys. He's the only player in the Big East that leads his team in both points and rebounds. Bryce Hopkins is a different-level athlete as well. He is special. There's a reason why he was at Kentucky. Yep. Look out for him. He stretches the floor. He is lethal when he drives to the hole. If Providence gets okay backcourt play, their backcourt play has been up and down. If they get some stable backcourt play, Hopkins and Ed Croswell are an 
interesting duo at the four and five slots. Against Seton Hall on Saturday, they combined for 45 points and 19 rebounds. Look out. Ed Cooley's teams know how to grow. I'll give you a quick example. 2019-20, the first net report came out. Providence was 146 in the net. They ended up going to the NCAA tournament. They were going to go had it not been canceled. With LaJuan Pipkins, remember they were red hot yep. going into – they beat Villanova. They beat Villanova uh, at Villanova. Yeah. They got red hot, and they were the hottest team in the country. This year, the first net report came out. Providence was 145. Ed Cooley looked at the net report and said, all right, so what? That team's going to keep getting better. And that's why I say I wouldn't be shocked by six. It would not shock me. It would not shock me if UConn made it, Xavier made it, Marquette made it, Creighton righted the ship, Villanova somehow got in, and then one of St. John's or Providence got in the tournament. That still wouldn't shock me. And that was the team I was missing when we were breaking down the eleven. I didn't yeah, bring up Creighton. I didn't bring up Creighton because they were yeah. five, they're five hundred on the year now. Yeah. They got to write the ship, guys. Yeah. I mean that that would really kill the Big East if Creighton goes downhill. That would kill the bit. That would be really not not kill the Big East. It'd be a killer though because that team was supposed to be one of the best teams in the country. They got to wake losing, up. You'd be losing the Arkansas win essentially, uh, one of the best wins of the season. You'd be losing yeah. that by Creighton not writing the ship. They got to wake up. Yeah, John. You stayed on longer than you promised. I appreciate it, um, but we're obviously going to let you go. Um, you got a you got a, a brand new fiance to tend to, so uh, I'll let you do that. You spent a lot of time on the road, so so John, thank you so much um, again for joining us here on the full forty. This has been a, an awesome discussion, and we really appreciate your time here. And yeah, this is what makes you different. You're, 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 you 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 spend time talking to us little people, and we appreciate it. So um, you're not little people. Full forty is awesome. It's as strong of a podcast covering the Big East and Villanova as any. And I will give you guys time anytime. Thanks for having me. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, everybody, and hope that you guys can all enjoy some Big East hoops during this special time of year. Awesome. We, Thanks, we, we, we will do our best. We got to find a way to win two out of our next three. But <laughs> thank you, yeah. everybody, for listening. And as always, let's go, Nova. <laughs>